WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week's guests are the creators of the upcoming middle grade OGN, The Dog Knight, Jeremy Whitley, and Brian Go. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Hey. Good to see you guys. Good to see you. Good to it's be been seen. A <laughs> Brie, we'll start with you. What are some of the first comics that you remember reading? Ooh, yeah. Uh, I think I remember my first comic was a Shonen Jump. I don't know what issue, but I remember <laughs> being like eight, just walking through like the grocery store. Uh, I, I remember, no, maybe I was younger. I don't know. I remember it was an age where my shins were right at the level of like the bottom like, I don't know. I always have my shins on the shelves. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, like I just remember picking it up and reading like Naruto, Bleach. And I think it was like the Gray Man that were like in print at the time. Um, I didn't even really know what I was reading. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I was just like, oh, cartoons. Wow. And uh, yeah. And then it, I think after that, uh, I got some friends who were into manga and stuff. So I didn't really ever have the money to buy that stuff. So I would just kind of read whatever they had around. Um, and they were people who liked like Helsing and stuff like that and Inuyasha. And so those are my first comics. But the first series I ever got to buy for myself was Saga. Ooh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it was pretty, pretty late in my life, but it was like finally my money, my, my comics and like the stuff that I would get to take care of. Um, but before that, I was even just into web comics. Uh, I've always found the the manga section of the bookstore intimidating just because, you know, one series tends to take up an entire row yeah. on a shelf. <laughs> yeah, I still haven't like had the confidence to tackle like One Piece or like all of Naruto. I'm just like, you know what? That's some expert level stuff right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's That's really cool. Manga has a lot of genres that I think that I wish that we got to see in comics like out in front a lot more in uh in america you know i'm a mystery manga guy case closed moriarty the patriot those are the two that <laughs> i the, the two that i follow yes i love case closed and, and i was able to start when they started releasing volumes in the states. so i started with volume one so i've got the <sighs> 80 we're up to 86 here in the states enough that if i eventually ever break everything out and put up bookcases it will be like two plus shelves a dedicated space <laughs> that's awesome but you jam i feel like our answers couldn't be more like generationally specific you're like <laughs> i stumbled across some shonen jump and i'm like i'm pretty sure i got my first comic from pizza hut uh, <laughs> it was an x-men comic and i'm pretty sure it came from pizza hut um you know, because that's that's uh, what you got when you went to the Pizza Hut and you got the little X-Men, the animated series, you know, VHS that came with the personal pan pizza. And wait, you got the, like... that, wait, y'all got VHSs? Oh, yeah. The VHSs had one or two episodes of X-Men, the animated series on them. That's it. And I mean, then, like... I guess you had to do it. You had to figure out and a then, way. And then they'd give you, like, a comic book that had, like, a... Uh, a, like animated series specific like story it was you know usually just like literally a retelling of something like an episode of the animated series show that's um, awesome yeah because that's i i grew up in the like 
I guess the previous hardcore X-Men era. We're in a new hardcore X-Men era, but you know, it's uh you know, that was a that was a time. That was a time. <laughs> yeah, but my my dad was, you know, into comics as well. So I, I got a lot of stuff from him. We had a you know local store where I grew up in uh Livermore, California, where you know we would go down and uh, and visit the store. Uh so the place I got uh I first met Stan Lee, got my comics signed by Stan. Oh, cool. Um yeah, they that's a that's a funny story because you know they had him come out to do a signing to promote the launch of like this was when Marvel 2099 was a thing. Um mm-hmm. and so he came out to do a signing here and like the rule was you had to like buy something from the like 2099 line before you could get him to sign anything. And I didn't have anything like that Stan had written. So, you know, as a kid, I I just like literally I, I bought, you know, um I bought Doom 2099, uh, number one. And so now I have a signed copy of Doom 2099, number one, by Stan Lee, who did not write that book. Um, What a trooper, he's so nice. You know, I I had something for him to sign, and, like, I, you know, that was was all I had. Um, He signed that, and also uh, a comic that I uh, wrote and drew in crayon in elementary school about the X-Men, so. Nice. Yeah, that's definitely one of a kind. I have no idea where it is. It's in Poor my parents' memory. basement somewhere. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but once found, it is a collector's item. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. original work by Jeremy Whitley, signed by Stan Lee for God knows what reason. <laughs> <laughs> for niceness. Yeah. Oh man! But uh, Jeremy, there there are videos of you on Twitter right now, absolutely not skipping leg day. So I know one <laughs> one Jim Bro to another. Tell me about your workout. Uh, so I I spent a couple of years before the pandemic in uh, something that was CrossFit. And then when the CrossFit guy went crazy, they became not CrossFit, but still doing the same thing. Um, and so like, it was a lot of like cross training stuff that I would go in there and do a lot of, you know, high intensity, uh, you know, hit workouts. Um, and so like after I got out of there because uh, they were still trying to run stuff in the gym during COVID. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know, that's not a thing I want. Um, so I, I started, uh, I go now to like an anytime fitness because I like to go lift at two in the morning when nobody mm-hmm. else is there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but sometime between 10 and two is like or 10 PM and 2 AM is, is when I like to go work out because it's like me and maybe one other guy there. Um, <laughs> And so I, uh, I like, I still stick with a lot of the like core workouts that uh, uh, I, I would do from, you know, CrossFit. I, I love to do deadlifts and squats. Um, I'm, I'm not as good at bench press. They do have a, you know, a leg press machine there, which I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a monster at. I'm built like a, you know, like a pyramid. So <laughs> yeah. I was just about to say, I just like, you got some, you have strong legs. Like, because you said the bench press was a little tougher for you. But yeah, you got legs that could kill a man. So. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I have a leg press. I think my my max is around like uh, 1,040 pounds now on on that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I want to do more with like bench and squats. But the reality is there's uh, not people there to spot me at that time of night. So mm-hmm. I'm yeah. like, if it's if it's not something that I can 
do three to five times safely. I'm just not going to do it. Um, Good call. Good call. <laughs> yeah. You know, they have the little, they have the little emergency alert buttons, the little life alert buttons there, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that those things work. <laughs> oh, <God>. Gruesome scene. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. Oh, that is fantastic. But, uh, you two are here to talk about The Dog Night, uh, your new graphic novel for, with uh, colorist Melissa Capriglione, due out May 17th from uh, Macmillan's Fible and Friends imprint. Uh, Matt, what are we looking at here? Frankie knows who they are. They're a drummer, they're non-binary, and they're the dog night? One day, Frankie is a relatively normal middle schooler with relatively normal challenges, like finding the perfect outfit to wear during the upcoming drum solo. Then, they save a friendly golden retriever from bullies and wake up in a giant magical doghouse with a funny-looking helmet talking to a group of dog superheroes called the Pothion. If Frankie can prove that they possess the six dog virtues of loyalty, kindness, honesty, justice, stubbornness, and smell, they will be named the Dog Knight and be given the power to fight the forces of chaos. Maybe there is more to Frankie than they thought. Oh, I love it. <laughs> An entire graphic novel about dogs being very good. Yeah, it was really good for the soul. <laughs> yeah. Th this episode is going to be a lot of fun for me personally. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> what, what is the origin of this project? Uh, so this one this one started out with me. Uh, I had a bunch of like, I had a bunch of projects that like I had spent a really long time developing and like I was really just hammering away on specifics of like character development and stuff. And then I had this one other project that was like, like two sentences. It was like the dog night, you know, dogs are man's best friend. The dog night is dog's best friend. Um, you know, they help, they help dogs uh, protect humans from these, you know, unseen uh, forces of chaos. And that was like all I had of it. And it was just sort of like sitting in my, in my pitch documents. And that was the one that my agent was like, yeah, I know who would be interested in this. And, and they, they took, uh, Mo, my agent took it to, uh, Bible and friends and our, our editor there. And, uh, immediately they were like, tell us more. And I was like, I am going to have to figure out more and write it down. Cause I, I had some idea of the other stuff, but it was just sort of like, I hadn't really hashed it all out yet. Um, there was immediately an interest and you know uh we, we just needed to to find the right artist and to you know hash out the the stuff um and you know they as a as an editorial group wanted to have some say on you know what the art looked like who the artist was and uh i was like great you know i i love that i love that you guys are interested in finding you know the right art for it uh, i do want to make sure that you know whoever we find I, I want to have a non-binary artist on this, somebody I don't have to explain this this stuff to uh, and can, you know, provide that, like, point of view that I, I think is so important when you're you're telling a story like this. And so uh, they they were like, yes, that would be great. Uh, that's what we'll do. And they brought me back, like, I think four or five different you know, possible artists, uh, all of whom were non-binary. And, like, Bree's art was immediately, like, I looked at it and I was like, that's it. That's the that's the style for this book. Uh, you know, Brie would be perfect. And uh, they, you know, like, all right, well, we'll, we'll see what we can do. You know, 
they've got other stuff going on, but you know, we'll we'll see if they have time for it. And uh luckily, uh Bree was Bree was into it. And uh yeah, we've been we've been working on it for years now because this was like we were starting all of this right before the pandemic. Um <laughs> and then you know, everything got everything got uh delayed and waylaid and and changed around so you know we were already yeah well into it before like it got announced and then you know it's been i think a couple of years since it got announced um but yes would... now finally you know less than a month away and it's it's <laughs> so beautiful and it's so like i'm excited for this to like get out in people's hands yeah, me too. I really am. And like another like delay on the whole thing was that like during COVID, I ended up moving like four times. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. And I was just like still learning how to like establish better boundaries and work and stuff. So it's just like, how do I tell them it's going to be a year late? <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, yeah, everyone that I had the like honor of working with was just so understanding, caring and stuff like that. I just like, I'm so happy that I like got to work with everybody. Now, Jeremy, you're allergic to dogs. <laughs> Did this qualify yeah. as immersion therapy for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think part of it, it started because, uh, you know, I, I, I am allergic to dogs. My kids really wanted a dog. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was a lot of like going back and forth about this and trying to figure out how this would work. And eventually how it worked is that we got a dog and I just got used to it because it's, you know, it's, I have, I have very bad cat allergies, like, you know, face swell up, sneeze all over the place allergies and the dogs was a little milder. So, you know, I, I still occasionally have to dip into the allergy medicine and, um, you know, work through that. But, you know, we have, uh, we have a dog now, his name is Ace. Um, and, uh, he is, uh, he is exactly the kind of dog uh, I want, which is to say he's chill. He's just he's chill. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have the the energy to chase a, a puppy along with my my two personal children. Uh, <laughs> personal children. <laughs> my personal children, as opposed to this puppy that I'm bringing from from somewhere else. Um, yeah, so I, I think Ace has a very similar energy to me. Uh, you know, I, our how we got him was we went to a rescue and there were all these like dogs puppies younger dogs that were running around having a great time and my my daughters uh you know threw balls and all of the dogs ran up to go get him except for ace who walked up to me and sort of like slowly circled around and like bumped his his you know back into me until like i finally started petting him and then you know he was like all right i'm just gonna sit here on your foot and you're just gonna keep petting me uh, um Aww. and it worked so. it worked he's like all these other ones they don't know how to clutch an owner they are like yeah, yeah. he's like watch and learn ace sags when all the other dogs zigged mm -hmm. right. <laughs> smooth brie what is your personal relationship with dog uh i i only ever had one dog growing up and um it's a bit of a sad story so i don't think that'll like uh Okay. go on it because I was too young to really have any control mm -hmm. and we were definitely not a family that should have had a dog at the time um but the dog was an absolute sweetheart he was a beagle his name was Max very very cliche but just <laughs> a sweetheart a sweet I loved him and um but I've had cats more in my life so um I have I have more stories of cats I have the gray one right there over my shoulder <laughs> 
Ah, yes. It's just a blob. <laughs> oh, we'll get to the cats. We'll though. get to the cats. <laughs> we'll get to the cats. Okay. <laughs> I'm not not letting Dan get away with just dogs in this episode. No, no, no. There must yeah. be cat talk. But like, I, I mean. <laughs> But like I've also I with dogs in general, I always like vibe with them really fast. Like I went to visit my dad in um in North Carolina last year and I met two dogs. One was my cousin's dog and her name was Ruby and she was just so cute. I like I don't know, I met her once and I could read her body language so quickly while everyone else was just like, I don't know what she wants. And then um and then also my dad's friend at the time had a little tiny dog. I cannot remember the dog's name or the breed, but um, but it was just like staring at me the whole time. Like he would just get on the couch and stare at me. And then he was like, let me lick that hand. Let me lick a little bit of that hand. And I'm just like, <laughs> my hand, man. But like, yeah, it was pretty chill. Everyone thought he was gonna like fight me. And I was just like, no, why? Why would we fight? <laughs> so each member of the Pothion, which I love, uh, is a different breed of dog. Uh, how were those breeds selected? Was it a deep dive into which breed exemplified each of the attributes that they represent or just this dog seems neat? Um, it was a, a little bit of both. Um, you know, cause like I, I knew like we want to have, there are some classics that you want to have in there. You want to have a golden retriever. You want to have, you know, uh, a bulldog. You want to have, you know, things like that. But I, I think specifically as we started sort of thinking about, the different uh qualities that, that they were going to exemplify um is a nice combination of like stuff that i just think is funny and <laughs> stuff that like i feel like i know is true about dogs um like i think the uh i think you know platinum was maybe the first dog i had so the platinum retriever better than a golden retriever what's better than a golden retriever a platinum retriever um <laughs> I was like, you know, that's that's a good idea. Um, <laughs> a plus idea. Yeah, most most of the names for the dogs came, but from me going, dog pun, dog pun, dog pun. What's a good dog? <laughs> um, but like, I, I think the the one that to this day I still think is like every time I I read the book, I'm like, ah, Yorkshire Terror. That was genius. That one. That one's great to me because it, it's you know he's he is the exemplar of justice he is it goes great with the the name but also like the, the idea that this character is a little yorkie that thinks he's batman like that that <laughs> idea to me is like one of those that i was like all right no matter what i write from this point i'm keeping that like he's perfect i love him yeah <clears throat> I love I love seeing like literally like the smallest ball of fury like you know representing justice and stuff. I'm like, of course Frankie can relate to him, mm. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and like a as a kid, I was really into Darkwing Duck, and that was like <laughs> that's a heavy reference on, you know, on terror is is just sort of like that. How how much how much uh, speechifying he does as compared to like how intimidating Darkwing Duck actually is. <laughs> I, I picked uh, that up so hard. Oh. I was like, oh my God, this is Darkwing Duck, but dog. <laughs> yeah. Dark bark dog. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> which which of these dogs, Brie, for you was, which was the most difficult to draw and then which was the most fun? Okay. 
they're all like, okay, I'm not going to say like, they're all fun. Cause they all are, they all are fun. I had a lot of, I had a hard time with legal beagle. Like, I don't know. It was just like getting those proportions right with chibi S kind of things is like, if you, if you don't do enough of anything, like then it's uncanny. And I'm like, I don't want an uncanny cute dog. So that was tough. Um, it's fun to draw a dog because like of all the folds and it's just fun to like, how am I going to find expression in a character who's not very expressive and also literally just folds. Um, but um, I think the most expressive dog is platinum. And so getting to draw like, uh, like uh, go out of my comfort zone and drawing an expressive dog, like without like breaking my style or going too hyper-realistic was a nice challenge. So it was fun. I feel like the one we had the most trouble with was was figuring out Omni Dog, just because the Omni Dog is all dogs, so it's it's different every time we see it. So like we wanted to make it like every time you see it, you have to be like, oh, oh the you know that that must be that must be the Omni Dog because uh, yeah. it's not a dog I recognize, but it does have big glowing blue eyes. Big glowing blue eyes, right? I tried not to like change him them too much, like. I wanted initially to be like, every time you see this dog, it'll be a different dog, like every panel. But then I was just like, I don't know. I feel like people will struggle with that. And so I'm really glad that I kept it like scene to scene. Like when you see them the first time and then the, the next time you see them, they're different dogs. I would have had a, a chance to like fit a lot more dogs into the story though, if I went with my original idea. Maybe in the next book, I can make them change a little bit more. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, we've got plenty of other other dogs, types of dogs in these uh in the other books. Mm -hmm. What is what is something that either of you got to do in this book that you hadn't maybe hadn't before in your other work? Everything. <laughs> I I've only like the only comic that I've been publishing like consistently is a, is a slice of life, like high school stories. So like, I don't really have to imagine too much. The, the challenge there is making scenes interesting where half of the conversations are over food. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, but this was my first action comic, like, you know, action, like movements like that, uh, fantasy first time drawing multiple breeds of dogs. <laughs> and designing like armor and stuff like that. So the whole the whole thing was a huge challenge for me, but like I grew like crazy. Like, I mean, if you draw 230 pages in like the span of three years, you guaranteed to, to learn, you know what I mean? But uh, but yeah, so that was what was different for me. How about you, Jaren? Uh, yeah, for me, I think it's a lot of like, it, it, this is, this is uh, such a like, Oh, comics question, but like, or I think the thing that's so different for me was getting to plan like a trilogy of graphic novels, like knowing that this is I'm gonna get to go these you know basically 700 pages of of comics, and I don't have to worry about uh month to month sales or you know pre orders mm -hmm. or you know things like that. But as a as a question of whether or not they're gonna publish the next one. Um, you know, the, the way I have to with, you know, Marvel or, or anybody like that. And so it was nice to like, be able to sit down and be like, I don't have to cram all this stuff into this issue. I can, you know, let this breathe and, and tell the story, you know, naturally, 
and Uh be able to say like, okay, you know, these are going to be the big story beats of the second book. And these are going to be the big story beats of the third book. And sort of like figure all that out organically before I'm like at the last second going, well, I guess this is the last issue. I have to fit all these eight other things that I really wanted to do in here. Um, Which is something I've done more than once. Um, That's a challenge. Yeah, it's it's definitely a challenge um you know princess was a little different just because that is my my own thing but that was you know has always been like a we don't know when things are coming out we don't know uh what's going to happen when uh sort of flying by the seat of our pants kind of thing but to actually have like a a real publisher that's you know backing a thing and uh you know is is telling you like look we're gonna we're gonna do this this and this we're gonna have this much time uh is is I think a thing that a lot of authors outside of comics are used to that people in comics are like, wow, really? You actually <laughs> like know how much work you're going to do and how much they're going to pay you beforehand. That was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, like, since this was also like the, like Meg Jo Bethanini was my first graphic novel, but I only did the pencils on that. Um, and so this, I was like, I was too much. I think, I think someone should have been like, Brie Poss, like, are you going to die after this? Uh, it was rough, but I was like, I want to do the pencils and the inks and the colors and the letters, and I want to get it done. And I want to do three books in a row. Yeah, that's mm. so like learning that out, like how much that is like you, I don't think, I, I mean, maybe I could have been warned like from others in my area, but I think that it's like, there's no, te- you can't guess how it's going to be until you're like in the thick of it. So Kind of going into that a little blind was was tough but um now i know better <laughs> i think i had i think i was the one that eventually had to be like you know brie we could yeah. ask about getting a colorist and you were like really what Did yeah have somebody else do some of the work <laughs> i yeah, was like, like well well the only time i ever heard of someone and, and you know this is like i'm gonna i'm gonna call out the things that i see in the industry but like uh, a lot of things i see with people who are also doing like graphic novels like i had one friend who was just like oh yeah i had to pay for my colors out of my pay because i needed it at the last minute and i was like oh my god but like my publisher was way cooler about it like they just they paid for the colorist and so that was that was a little odd uh to run into <laughs> um, but yeah i was really grateful that like i vented to jeremy one day and was just like i'm I'm not doing so well. And he was like, just ask for a deadline ship. Like you're, you're okay. You won't, you won't suffer consequences. And I was like, okay. And I did it and it was freeing. Yeah. I think for me, it was one of those things that like, when you came on board, they set deadlines. I was like, wow, three must be really fast. And then you're I, like, and that's the I thing can't. I am. I am really fast, but mm. when that's a lot. Yeah, no, it was a lot. And, and you were like, I, I don't know this is a lot of stuff and I was like yeah it is like it definitely is a lot you should say something you see if they you know somebody can help you yeah um, it was <laughs> nice everybody... to, to learn I could ask for help so you sort of answered this in there but I'm gonna just call it you so you have this is a trilogy so you have two more volumes uh is that pretty well outlined out and rolling or hope oh, I, I take those nods as yeses. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I have uh, all three are, are written and edited. Uh, Brie is deep into uh, drawing, too, now. Yeah, um, I, I started inks a couple weeks back. Uh, 
the first couple sets are like taking a minute just because there's so much establishing art and 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 there's a lot of detailed backgrounds like I learned so much in the first book I'm just like I'm not about to rush through this I want people to see how I've developed and changed I want them to look at the first one and be like yeah that's great and then look at the second one and be like yeah I want them to feel like that <laughs> yeah and of course I of course I immediately made it harder on you in the second book because I was like all right, so now let's make it bigger. Like they're going out into the world, you know, set a, we're going to set a scene in the Louvre. We're going to set a scene, uh, you know, all these places that like really exist in the world and people know what they look like. So you can't yes. just like pretend, you know, people know what the Louvre looks like. They, yeah. they know, you know, I, I, I referenced specific like art in the Louvre. It's like, yes, recreate these statues in this comic. That'll be easy enough. Um, no, the part that was tough was not even recreating the statue because I can draw from reference. But like, I remember very, very vividly a moment where uh, I was drawing the scene that was in uh, New Delhi, right? And um, and he had given me a statue. I was like, all right, let's go. Let's go in. I Google maps it. I try to drop myself in. Oh, sorry, no cameras. Oh, great. Cool. Oh, no websites. No, nothing. I was like, I want to I want to make sure the characters take the proper path to the statue because I draw backgrounds. And so I go through like a whole day of like Google family photos, like people's family photos of the location, just like scrolling through, going through people's like family vacation videos on YouTube. And I finally found it. One video on all of the Internet of exactly what I needed. And I found it. I hope people appreciate it. <laughs> this, this also, that book, the second one, taught me uh, when you find reference, save it. Yeah. Save it to your computer. <laughs> because it may not be back on the, the internet where you thought it was when you go to search for it later. Right, like, right. I had very specific things in mind. And then, like, you, you hit me up and were like, I can't find this. And I was like, oh, no problem. I've got... Hmm. I felt so bad. I was like, I don't want to bother him with this, but she... <laughs> I was like, I, I can't, I know that I had like a picture of this specific statue and then like, I couldn't find it. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> really screwed up here. It's all good. I was never mad. I was just like, well, gee, I hope I can make this believable fight. Like, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't like throwing a, a gremlin against the wall somewhere and then be, someone be like, what is that? Like, I've never seen that. Or I don't know. I just want people to like, like when I did Meg Joe, I had one person uh, come to me and was just like, did you go to New York? And I was like, no. And they're like, oh, well, it was really believable. And I was like, cool. So I kind of want that same vibe, but like for like all these locations around the world, just do my best. But I hope that when people go, oh, I've been there. It's great. You know what I mean? So. But what, I, what I'm hearing from all this, the moral of the story is that right click save as isn't just for making fun of NFT bros. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is very much for that, but not just for that. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, Brie, you've also got uh, North Ranger coming out in June, which is a uh, queer teen romance graphic novel uh, inspired by Jane Austen. How did that opportunity come about? Uh, so I was working with Rachel Sierra uh, with Meg Joe, and then they introduced me to their agent, the agent took me on and then the, uh, Ray was just like, do you wanna do the next story? I was thinking about doing a modern rendition of uh, Northern Jurabi. And I was like, let's, let's do it. So it was a lot, it was a lot more like pre-planned. Like we kind of already decided we wanted to do our next story together. Um, yeah, and that was a lot of fun. 
Now, you already have plenty of experience drawing dogs. I have heard that artists don't particularly love drawing the horses. How was your experience? Oh, it was terrifying. I was like, these are either going to look great or they're going to look like little demons. I don't know. But <laughs> someone said that they were the... And I, I take this as a compliment, but it might not help the, like the the image of the comic. But they're like, that is the cutest horse I've ever seen. I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, the horses uh, just you know, getting to do all the research for all the, just building the environment up accurately is just so much fun for me. So I have like, you know, all these locations I'm doing with Jeremy. And then at the same time, I was doing like vast areas in Texas and stuff like that. Um, I took so many virtual tours of, uh, of ranches, man. <laughs> <laughs> but the horses, uh, yeah, I, I think people are intimidated by them, but they're quite, simple like it's just a bunch of circles and lines like straight lines and circles that's all it is you know cute horses jeremy i'm just saying Ooh. if you ever need another artist for your my little pony stories <laughs> <laughs> i yeah. know how to draw the horses i could draw the ponies too <laughs> what i've what i've discovered from talking to tony fleece and my, my other artists who've worked on my little pony stuff with me is uh Knowing how to draw ponies does not know, like My Little Pony Ponies does not translate into drawing real horses and vice true. versa. <laughs> as, as, uh, Tony described them to me, the My Little Pony Ponies are like sausage dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle back to dogs. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a very, <laughs> literally a very different beast. <laughs> now, Re. Your mm -hmm. website says that you're a lover of Star Trek. And as our listeners know, I am as well. Although I'm woefully behind on Picard, so no spoilers. Trust, <laughs> I'm behind. <laughs> okay. Do you have a Trek of choice? All right. I'm kind of embarrassed. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm not too deep into, like, the, the culture that, like, I'm not, I'm not too ashamed. I'm just going to say, I love Deep Space Nine and I love Enterprise. <clears throat> like, like, I don't care. Like... If I could, if I could just nerd real quick, please. The floor is yours. Yes. When I had just finished the Next Generation, of course, I was like, you know what? Nothing can be better than that. That was just mm, prime. And then I start Deep Space Nine. I was like, I'm not ready. I'm not even conscious of like the trauma I'm experiencing right now through Cisco, because I'm just thinking about what I left behind. So I pause for like six months. I come back. I finally watch it again, and I'm distraught. Like, oh, the pain. Watching throughout Deep Space Nine, I, Cisco, why he's not my father, like the best <laughs> person in the world, like the relationship with him and his son, oh my God, tears in my eyes. And then Quark, of course, you know, he's hilarious. But like, and then with Enterprise, man, when I first started that, I was like, this is cheesy. This theme song, bro, <laughs> I'm laughing <laughs> and I'm like singing it. I'm like, it's been a long road, but that's it. It hit the like fifth episode. I'm sitting here and I'm singing it genuinely. Okay. <laughs> genuinely. Because that, I mean, that's like, that's humanity's like baby steps into the universe. And like, we're so human. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God, stop projecting. Like, getting stuff oh, so messy. It's so embarrassing, but I loved it. And <laughs> I, I got to rewatch it actually now. I'm excited. But what about you? DS9. Yeah. Uh, I am. I am. Yeah hardcore ds9 i mean i love next gen next gen was my first but ds9 and 
see, for me, it's it's Garrick. Every time Garrick is on screen, I need more. It's like every time he's not on screen, it's like, well, what's Garrick up to? Yeah, <laughs> he's just so. What is Garrick doing? Army and so oh, delightful. I'm so happy. Same mind. Brilliant. Yeah. And yeah. I, I do need to give Enterprise another watch because yeah, because it's it's better than everybody gives it. Some so many people yes. give it credit for, and there's yes. some some great great for performances in there, and it, it, it they did them dirty with the the finale, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Like song. I can't say that it was all that great, but like I did like just the. The overall setup where it's just like this is a very unique kind of like situation and i really i mean it was really nice because like when i was watching it i was like kind of like really saddened about humanity i was just like bro like <laughs> and so i really needed that escapism and like of course you could watch like the um you know like you know deep space not all that get like way too far out there in fantasy but like this was just kind of close enough to home so i was just like i could believe this could happen yeah sure <laughs> There's some really rough episodes in that one, though. DS9, I maintain, like, I I love that show. I think as far as, like, first episodes, it's far and away the best first episode because they they get this, like, great idea for the opening, which is, like, hey, we're going to bring you in with Picard because you know Picard. This is your favorite guy. Come follow Picard into this story. And then you meet Cisco, and Cisco's like, Picard is an asshole. I hate that guy. And you're like, what? What do you mean? Yeah, that probably like, contributed to my disdain. I was just like, eh, I'm going home. And Cisco's like, he literally killed everybody I know. And you're like, oh, yeah, he did do that, didn't he? Oh, God. Um, I, I see where you're coming from, Cisco. He, yeah. he was the face of a near genocide. That is kind of hard <laughs> to get over if you didn't know yeah. him beforehand. Yeah, wow. I, it's. I, I think for me, like, I love both. You know, I I came up on on both Next Generation and DS Nine, and I think like it's hard to deny to like an episode to episode basis that DS Nine is is probably the best. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a sucker for Discovery though, just because like it is much more the kind of like storytelling that like gets me not so episodic, but like, you know, an Mm -hmm. ongoing kind of thing that I'm like, all right, like I have a reason to come back next week. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm into this story. Uh, You know, it's, it's much more the sort of things that I think as a, as a comic book junkie, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in the modern world, like I'm, I'm used to, I'm into. uh, Although I do have to say like both, I mean, they're still very early in their lives, but both Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds are like, I could watch some of those episodes over and over and over. And over. Yeah. They're so good. Um, yeah, I the, the cast of Strange New Worlds is is. Phenomenal. I need to watch it. I haven't had a chance. I, I, I didn't get a chance to get into Voyager and then I jumped to Enterprise and then I've watched Lower Decks, but I'm still missing Picard, Discovery, uh, you said what was it the strange new worlds yeah. um it's like uh i just for discovery i'm, I'm so nervous like i i'm excited because the actors but i'm like is it anything like the the star trek movies with uh okay because i was like no. i can you can like those movies they're just not my taste of star trek do you know what i mean i want i still i don't want it to be 
as much as I liked Enterprise for its like militarization and all that stuff, I was like, well, that's because it's like our first steps. You know, we haven't adjusted yet to that aesthetic. But like, I was just like, I don't know. I'm I'm scared. I don't want to go in there and get my heart broken. Is it? It's good. The, it's very good. Okay. Uh, the first season is a war story. Okay. It, without giving too much away, because you get this, it's the first Federation Klingon war. Oh. Throughout okay. the first season and. But then the second season becomes about technology. And then I don't want to say anything more because uh, there's a significant shift in between season three and four. Okay. It is also, and this is saying something for Star Trek, the most, the most diverse and inclusive of yeah, wow. any Star Trek. Okay. I'm definitely going to check it out now. Like top of my list. I have a friend who is trans and they were so excited that there's a non-binary regular cast member mm -hmm. starting in season three mm. that it was they were just over the moon and they've been a star trek fan forever and it was like this was something that meant so much to them that there was a character and they felt seen yeah yeah i mean like the closest thing i remember because i didn't see voyager there was uh dax like that was kind of like the only idea and i i loved how they handled dax like oh my god favorite character but, uh, but that's great to know. I have kind of a tangent, but still just want to kind of feel what you guys think. How did you guys like the Orville or did you not watch it? I didn't watch it. Uh, I watched <laughs> it. I, th I think it does a lot really well. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big Seth MacFarlane person in general. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So some of it is kind of working around my general like oh it's seth MacFarlane being <laughs> seth MacFarlane, but it's nowhere near as it, it doesn't go the, the seth MacFarlane yeah. animation route with yeah. the you know gross out offensive humor mm -hmm. it also falls into the traps of some of the most heavy-handed episodes of next gen where it's like uh. hey it's the message. Just see the message. Yeah, yeah. I can agree over the there. head with the message. Yeah. But it but a lot of the cast is really good. And yeah. I think when it's firing on all cylinders, it does a really good job. Mm -hmm. I think I can agree with that. I feel like I enjoyed more just like the characters and like how I, I like, you know, just got to know them. I I'm usually the opposite. I like the idea and then I'm the characters. I'm like, all right, I guess I'll get to know you. But this I was like, I actually actually like them. The first season was for me, I was just like, you could tell that they were trying to get their identity. The first episodes, I was just like, if this is what I'm signing up for, I don't want it. Because it was too much, like you said, just his like family guy humor almost. And I was like, mm, come on, you know, you can do better. And then, you know, it maybe it's still not at the tier what I expect from something like Star Trek. But you can tell that it definitely is a love letter. And I I watch it. I do have a good time. I've cried. I've cried, you know? So I enjoyed it. I just wanted to see what you guys thought. Yeah, yeah I, this is going to sound uh, weird and judgmental. I've only seen the first episode, and I hate Seth MacFarlane's Well, of course, face. it's terrible. you got to watch the second <laughs> like, episode. Yeah, I hate his garbage. face. I just want to oh, punch him on. every time I see him on TV. I, like, I, I, I much prefer, like, I, you know... I've well outgrown Family Guy and American Dad yeah. by this point, but like I still prefer that because I don't have to see his face, and he's just Girl. so 
He's just he so punchable. No, I mean, he oh, just, okay, you just don't he like just him. He just has this smarmy smirk on his face like 24 7 okay well if you can happen to get past that and the worst episode of the (laughs) whole show then maybe give it another try but if it's not your cup of tea it's not your cup of tea i just was happy that they dropped like the unnecessary like extra gross humor as opposed to just being like just being natural and then they did and i think that's what i love mostly is that like all the characters just act it really felt like natural like these characters were just like on a spaceship dealing with this crap and sometimes you know, so like you said, sometimes it feels like the lower decks, but then just a little more serious. So, yeah, yeah it's it's wild to me, like circling all the way back around to Star Trek that like uh, as much Star Trek as I watched, like within one season of of uh, Discovery, but then also in, in uh, Strange New Worlds, Christopher Pike, like immediately became my favorite character. Like, oh, I love that dude. Like. He's oh. like, after like two episodes of of him being on there, I was like, yeah, that's the captain I want. Like, that's the guy I want. Like, I would I would go into Starfleet if that was my captain. Like, Pike, like, Pike was know? the first. Was he the guy in the pilot of the original? Pike series? is the guy in the pilot. Yeah, okay. that's what I thought. Yeah, and he is a very different character than he is in the pilot. Oh, really? Of, of the original awesome. series. Yeah. So it's so Discovery takes place on on his ship. So uh, Discovery starts on Discovery for various reasons. He captains Discovery and like, I think it's the second or third seasons. Uh, And then, and then he ends up going, you know, on to the Enterprise, which we already know by the time we meet him, because we're like, that's, that's where he is at the, you know, beginning of the original series. Um, Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) And that strange new world is him, is his Enterprise with various characters that we know from the original series 10 years earlier. Oh, oh my God. Okay. Yeah. I'm super jazzed now. Yeah. Thank you guys for knowing yeah, that. If, if <laughs> I would say like discovery leads into that, but you can just watch the first episode of strange new world. And like, if you're not immediately like sold on that show from the first episode, mm-hmm. I would be surprised. <laughs> oh no, I'll love it. I'll watch like, I, I'm so thirsty for good uh, sci-fi, dude. Uh, I'm, I'm, gosh, I'm, I'm drenched. I'm parched. You know, I need good sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the opposite of Voyager, which you have to watch like five seasons of for it to get good. Um, oh God, I will not go back. I, is it? Do I need to watch it? So there, like, there are several good episodes in the first few seasons, and my my wife was doing like a rewatch of the whole thing, and so I, I was kind of dropping in and out. And there's a there's a point at which um, things kind of switch up. Um, excuse me. Um, they get a new script supervisor, um, oh. like fourth or fifth season, and uh, it's like the whole thing shifts. And it was one of those that like I was watching one of the first episodes from that season, and I was like this episode was really good. I don't know what happened to the show. And then like, I'm watching the credits and Brian Fuller's name pops up. And I was like, oh, (laughs) Brian Fuller was running scripts on this show? Like, oh, that's why it got so much better all of a sudden. There's some, those last couple seasons are like, hey, the whole show had been this good. Like, I've been watching it regularly. Got you. Okay, cool. Well, thank you. So I have no segue for this. 
but <laughs> no we, we did promise we'd get to this earlier. So uh, Bree, tell us about your cats. Okay. <laughs> so I have a cat named Riley and a cat named Griselda, but we just call her Zelda. Um, I would wake her, but I can't, like, I don't want to bother her. Riley was our first cat and she's about five. She's a calico and she looks so mean, but she is the kindest, sweetest, most like emotional cat I've ever had. Like literally, like I said, I took a nap before this and she came and laid with me. And it's not just like lay next to me. No, she gets in a circle right next to my head in the crook of my neck and puts her little nose in my ear and I hear her purring and I'm just like therapeutic. I'm pure bliss right now. And, uh, and then Zelda is like the opposite. She looks and really, really friendly and she's super mouthy. She talks like crazy. She'll literally just be like, meow, 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 meow. And I'm like, are you speaking words? What's going on? But like, if you go to touch her, she just, she wants to enjoy your company separately. You know what I mean? But she's a little younger and she's a little chunky and she got a little short legs. I just, I love her. But yeah, that's Riley and Zelda. <laughs> So I had this for as in if time allows, but I think this might be a little too fun to pass on if oh, just for a, a minute and a bit of a tangent, because um, uh, the Pothion are based on the six tenets of what it means to truly be a dog. Um, mm -hmm. Do we have an idea of what those could be for cats? Because uh, I, I immediately <laughs> came up with haughtiness, <laughs> cleverness and sneakiness. Uh, <laughs> Let me tell you, we absolutely do. Oh, okay. Uh, then uh, say no more. Wink, say wink, no more. Nudge, nudge all that. <laughs> no spoilsies. Yeah, I'm exactly. so excited. You'll I'm have so to wait excited. a couple of years to find out what they are. <laughs> but yes, we do. I respect that as an answer. <laughs> <laughs> then we can just move on. And that was less I'm time glad that I you're asking the question, though. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, so, Jeremy, you're doing a, uh, a Gwenpool comic right now for Marvel Unlimited. And it's a romance comic. How do you like playing with that character in that genre? Uh, it's really, really fun. Um, I like I as a as like a snobby teenager growing up, I was all about like weird metafictional stuff. Like I love Douglas Adams. Um, I love just like the more uh, the more the book is just like self-aware and making fun of itself you know that was like that was my thing i'm a huge fan of the princess bride like um you know both both the movie and the book and the book is much more annoyingly metafictional i think than the movie which is like yeah it's a book uh, <laughs> you know the book is like well this was a book that my you know that i found all these years ago that i'm retelling this story and you know um you know, in, in a really obnoxious, but absolutely up my alley kind of way. So like getting the chance to to play with Gwynpool, uh, you know, for people who don't know, Gwynpool's origin is that she is a uh, a fan of the Marvel Universe from our world that accidentally got sucked into the Marvel Universe uh, around the time of Secret Wars. So uh, her her powers as such as they were for a long time were just that she knows things. Um <laughs> She, you know, she knows who's, you know, who people's secrets identities are. She, you know, knows that uh, bad guys are very bad at aiming and things like that. You know, she's uh, very good at things because she she knows what she can get away with as a, a comic book character, knows how comic books work. Um, she also has a uh, 
a, a moderate ability to retcon things uh, because she is conscious of the fact that this is something she can do. Um, so God. like putting her in this story where she's uh, sort of our, our start of it is that, you know, this, uh, this love unlimited series, which is a, a Marvel unlimited series. that has been ongoing as sort of this uh, one of their web comics. It's exclusive to their app is like, there's been all these romance comics that have been published through this. And Gwen has become aware that all of these people around her just seem to be falling in love. So somebody must be doing a romance comic. <laughs> so she like goes out of her way to uh, arrange a meet cute to try and, you know, start up this relationship of her own so she can get in this romance comic. And of course, as things often do with Gwen, like she tries to take advantage of the, uh, of the cliches and things of the you know comics universe and they don't play nice with her you know often as soon as she she thinks she's got a handle on it uh it it zigs uh when when she thinks it's gonna zag and then you know on top of that like she gets she gets much more uh emotionally involved in things than she would have to be to actually do the things she thinks she's going to do um so like this was this was really fun because we got a chance to sort of like go into this story with a character who knows they're in a romance comic um, and, you know, who is is trying to play into the tropes and really genuinely having difficulty getting oh. a result that she's happy with. You know, she, when she's not doing when she's not playing fair with other people, she feels bad that, you know, these these people have feelings for her that she doesn't return and. Uh, when she does have feelings for people and they don't go the way that she hopes they're going to go, uh, things things go a little sideways. So yeah, we're uh, we're four out of six issues into that right now, and I'm I'm actually really excited about where these these last couple are going. So I think people are going to be um, surprised and and excited, and uh, some people are going to be very shocked because there are a lot of people that think they have things figured out and. Um, they post about them online and how much they have them figured out and they very much do not have them figured out. <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> I'm so excited. One of the people that Gwen has been paired with in this series is, is Julie Power. How, how was the, uh, the reaction to that? How was, you know, banging the, uh, the, the champagne bottle to christen that ship? <laughs> it's been an interesting one because I think, um, you know, Julie was a character that I uh, I used in Future Foundation as well when I was writing that story. And uh, when last we left Julie, she had a, a new relationship in Future Foundation. And they have since been absent from comics. So uh, things go on as they tend to do. And so like when this story started up, when Julie came into this and uh, she and Gwen started this relationship, there was an interesting combination of like people who are fans of Gwenpool who were like, Yes, you know she's she's in a relationship with a woman. This is you know uh, this is great. This is ex we're extremely happy about this. And people who are fans of Julie who are like, wait, what happened to Ricky? Like, what happened to this other oh, this no. other relationship? And I was like, ah, <laughs> As I I I had this like honest conversation with folks where I was just like, you know, if that story had gone on long enough, they would have broken up. And I mean, the thing is. I know there's a tendency in fandom to treat every relationship as if it's the, you know, the OTP and even more so with queer relationships. Uh, but the, I mean, the fact is 
that not every same-sex kiss results in marriage <laughs> like <laughs> that's not the way it works um you know and this was like I've we've been sort of like non-specific about exactly how things you know broke up how things didn't happen um because you know I want to have a chance to for either me or somebody else to tell that story at some point I don't want to you know uh, yada yada that story um mm -hmm. but yeah I think it was you know it was important to me to to bring that in and in the case of Julie like she has somewhat of a, a previous existing relationship with Gwen not just as like a character that Gwen has met in the world but as like a, a person that Gwen was a fan of as as a reader um you know Gwen has a a power pack t-shirt in you know her pre uh Marvel universe uh stories and um you know she one of the one of her like bucket list of things she does at the end of you know unbelievable Gwenpool is you know she has a team up with the power pack who's you know these characters that she loves so like having to you know getting a chance to revisit that and tell this story that has these sort of layers of like yes this is a girl that she's into but also this is a character that like she was really into as a fan um mm -hmm. is has been interesting it's an interesting dynamic yeah yeah I think like that, I mean, yours is going to be the first Gwynpool. I think it might be one of my first like like American comics, too. but I'm definitely checking it out because it sounds super interesting. Thank you. Yeah, I, it's 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 interesting to watch because being a digital comic, it comes out weekly, which I mean, I know you're much more, you have much more experience publishing digital comics than I do, Bree. Yeah. So like, this was like, we have a basically a six page story it's all vertical scrolling coming oh. out every week. So like uh, it was it was a different experience for me to write because it's a you know a story that progresses downwards as you as you go. So we, we could do some like different things with the story. We had her um, part of Gwynpool's story is that she's or powers that she's able to pop out of the comic and see sort of the comic. Yeah. And I was like, well, if she's in a digital comic, it makes sense to me that instead of being outside the comic she would be in the internet like yeah so you know she's sort of we did this whole bit with her sort of diving into the internet and being swooped by uh That's you know awesome. twitter comments and and reddit threads and things like that about her um just just like the experience of getting on the internet for for anybody who has any sort of <laughs> public personality at all <laughs> I think that's so cool. Like, I was just about to say, if like since you guys are doing the vertical scroll, it's like, oh my god, that opens so many doors for Gwen because like that's her whole thing, right? And I was just visually even, I could just imagine so many ways to to have fun with making her literally break out of the panels and stuff. So that would be so okay. Yeah, we have very few panels at all in this story, and it's just like right. it it progresses down the the page very very interestingly. Oh, so more organically. Yeah. Oh, awesome. cool. Awesome. I cannot wait to see that. We're dro we're dropping this episode a few days before Free Comic Book Day. And, and you know, I don't want to bring the mood down here for too long, but I have to imagine with, you know, the whole Action Lab putting out previously unpublished Princeless material, it hits a little differently this year. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know that that stuff is, is going to make it to the shelves I, i've heard some things oh. about um some uh because we uh we as a as a group um you know there's quite a few 
uh, people who who had books with Action Lab that are currently in a lawsuit with them. And yeah. um, you know, one of the one of the things that resulted from that is uh, sort of a, a cease and desist um, for this uh, particular book when they're trying to publish this. Um, you know, for free comic book day without us being okay with it, without telling us what's in it, which is all, you know, uh, uh, an issue with our contract beyond what's already there. Um, and, you know, I, I do happen to know that, that, you know, Diamond became aware of this cease and desist. So I have heard that they are less enthusiastic about this book being on the shelves than uh, Action Lab is putting themselves, you know, they, they specifically don't want to be sort of in the middle of a, uh, conflict like this especially when there's pending legal action out there so mm. um you know I, I i don't know the specifics but i i have been told that uh you know they they did attempt to address it with action lab and uh i don't know i don't know what their experience is like but my attempt to address anything with action lab in the last two years has been uh very non-productive mm. gross I believe yeah. that is the technical legal term. Gross. Yeah, <laughs> for lack of a better word. <laughs> uh, have you sort planned any sort of you know FCBD counter programming for the day or anything like that? Uh well, I'm I'm going to be out at uh, Ultimate Comics in Cary, North Carolina, signing stuff. Uh, you know, promoting uh, the up upcoming Dog Night, which will be only like a uh, only two weeks away from. Or Jeez. less than two weeks away when Free Comic Book Day comes out, um, so like yeah, we're uh, we're planning to do signings for for that both at uh, Ultimate Comics in Raleigh and at uh, uh, Flyleaf Books in Chapel Hill when that comes out. Um, so that's I mean that's been our big focus is is getting Dog Night out there, and uh, you know, Action Lab seems to have been convinced that just freezing people out and making them wait will be enough to uh, make them cave and continue to deal with a company that doesn't pay people on time or on a regular basis or put out books when they're supposed to, or oh. let you know that they're going to be closed for six months. Uh, and, you know, I, I, my, my focus has been on uh, not putting up with that shit yeah. um, and, and for you, you know, working on working on stuff like this, that is uh, coming out now and going to be uh is i know it's spectacular um i can't wait for people to check it out i'm so excited <laughs> what about you brie are you you have any uh signings or anything like that uh planned for dog night uh i no <laughs> like i'm i'm so tired like i'm like gonna because like all jeremy's work is pretty much done until i like bite his earlobe asking questions you know what i mean like but I I'm I need to get deep into the inks. I like I have to make these deadlines and stuff. And also like socializing is bad for my heart. I'm I'm so socially anxious. <laughs> but I'm hoping that maybe with book two or and three that I'll be a little more I'll be a little more open to it and stuff like that. But I have a I think that what I'm gonna prioritize is making relationships with my local bookstores because since I've been since I moved to Santa Ana, I just have not had any time to get my bearings because it's just been like I said that was this was our last stop with our like four moves and then it was just like straight into dog night straight into north ranger straight into jamie and now I'm in dog night too so I've had no time to even like get my surroundings <laughs> so I would go to a bookstore and no one would know who I am they're just like okay someone's signing I guess <laughs> <laughs> 
Anything else on the horizon uh, that either of you can uh, talk about that we might have missed that's coming out? Uh, um, uh, no, not for me. Other, like other than with North Ranger, no. Um, and uh, I didn't know if you guys wanted. Did you guys want me to like say a little bit about it? About it, or like, do you? Sure. Me- sure. Yeah. All right. I was just gonna like read the blurb so that anyone listening who's interested can take a look. See. Go for so, it. It says, in this swoony and spooky teen summer romance graphic novel set on a Texas ranch, 16-year-old Cade Munoz finds himself falling for the ranch owner's mysterious and handsome son, only to discover that he may be harboring a dangerous secret. Ooh. Yeah, so anyway, it's just, it's a, like I said, it's a modern take on Northern Drabi, but kind of like how like Lion King is Hamlet, you know, like not really that direct. Um, and like it was a lot of fun to balance horror and romance in this and then not in the way that like you would see in classic uh horror films where it's just like oh they're getting you know they're gonna die because they're romantic together or something like that so not quite that but um Cade the character he absolutely adores old school like horror movies and you get to learn about why that is um but essentially using it as his escape for so long kind of gets him a little where he can't tell the difference between reality and his imagination sometimes. So that gets to play into a little bit. So it, this is a really interesting like combination of themes and I hope that people enjoy it. So that's about all I have going on except for um, my free comic, Jamie, that's you can read on Tapas and Webtoon for free. <laughs> As for me, Gwen, uh, the Love Unlimited Gwynpool story will have just wrapped up once uh, about the time this goes up. Uh, I've also just they've been uh, crowdfunding the the Won't Back Down anthology, which is a uh, Trina Robbins uh, pro-abortion um, mm-hmm. anthology, which uh, mm-hmm. I, I have a story in um, with my friend Ryan Oakley. Um, that is is funding right now through Zoop. Will have finished by the time that this comes out, but people can still support it. Um, you know they'll they'll have options to to buy it and support that book. All of the profit from that is obviously going to charity, uh, pro-abortion charities and things like that. Um, Amazing. Uh, and then I guess let's see, what's next after that? Um, oh, uh, later this year uh, we have the second volume of uh, School for Extraterrestrial Girls um, series through Paper Guts, which I do with my friend Jamie Noguchi. Um, and that, that's uh, you know, that second volume has been uh, a couple years in the making. Um, mm-hmm. and that's that's all finished, polished up. I get to see the finished cover today, so um, that should be uh, late this year. I, th- I want to say November is when that one will be dropping, mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully, hopefully, we'll have some announcements of, of some new stuff that's uh, coming up in the future, not too far off, because I have a I have a book with uh, my friend and, and co-host on my podcast uh ben con that's uh ben, coming out from ben. yeah it's coming out in the near future and i guess i could also plug my podcast uh progressively oh. horrified <laughs> which is uh our our podcast about uh progressive politics and horror movies where uh, every week we watch a horror movie and we uh try to make it progressive and try to you know find the find the messages and the interesting stuff in there that uh we can pull out of it it's uh all about sort of uh you know 
how everybody how horror movies are for everybody there's stuff that everybody can enjoy doesn't necessarily have to be a you know exclusionary kind of bro culture that i think a lot of people feel like it is mm-hmm. right on well that's 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 certainly plenty of stuff for 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 both of you uh penultimate <laughs> question what are you reading right now you you want to go first or you want me to go jerem uh you gotta go i have to think about this one so I'm about to uh, read Hookie, which was on Webtoon, and it is so cute. It is by the author, Miriam Bunstrotter, and it is really, really cute. Um, I'm just going to mention the name because if you, if it, it's, it's magical, it's about witches and stuff like that, but it's got a really cute art style, and it's got three volumes printed, but it's all available for free on Webtoons. Um, and then... A few I've been reading just like a few of my friends' comics on tapas. So one of my favorite is Crushed um, by Ya, and she's on tapas and on webtoon. It's a hockey, it's a hockey anime comic. You know what I mean? Oh, like, okay. Um, and it follows the character Crush or Carter, and I I really love it because while like the you know sports animes are always so like positive they have like their darkness but it never goes dark enough <laughs> in my opinion like I'm like let's go dark let's go dark I want to see it Nana yeah she goes dark <laughs> and I love it because with her like bright art style the juxtaposition is just good for my brain um yeah and uh I'm just gonna name those two for now uh but if Heck, if you went on to Twitter and went to my tapas, you can see my bookshelf. There you go. It's public. What about you, Jack? Uh, so I guess the most recent thing that I was reading regularly was uh, every appearance of Gwen Poole in Marvel Comics, because that is <laughs> something that like you can actually do still at this point, um, as opposed to, you know, if you're working on the Avengers or Iron Man, <laughs> it's not it's not possible to read every Spider-Man appearance. But Gwen Poole, <laughs> it, it still is. So I, I, you know, piled through all of that. Um, I have actually a couple of, of things that I'm, I'm reading or planning on reading. Uh, I'm uh, uh, reading Squire and Knight by uh, oh, Scott yeah. Chandler right now, which uh, we're we're actually doing a, a talk in the next couple of weeks about uh, Dog Knight and, and Squire and Knight, sort of uh, people getting together, talking about each other's comics or interviewing each other about our own comics. I love that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and the the next thing I have planned is actually I went on a, a little short Amazon spree buying. I had a whole, whole bunch of holes in my collection of uh, volumes of Strangers in Paradise. Uh, and I had never finished it, even though like I it's a comic that like when I was first getting back into comics, when I like started writing comics that I was like, I one of the things I picked up was I picked up like three random volumes of, of Terry Moore's Strangers in Paradise. And I was like, I, I started reading it. And that was, I think, one of the first things that as somebody who had only really read superhero stuff, I was like, oh, like comics can do this stuff. Like <laughs> they have, they have stories like this. Yeah. Um, so like I, I recently went through and like found the last couple of volumes I was missing. So I'm, I'm planning on when I have time this summer, presumably sometime between conventions, sitting down and just <laughs> plowing through that, uh, the whole thing that I've got the the whole story here nice nice that reminds me I was I was I picked back up on collecting the new saga since they came back from hiatus and so I reread the whole thing and so now I'm just waiting for the new issues and stuff and then I did want to mention one webcomic that I don't think a lot of people 
like in my circle, a lot of people know about it, but I, I definitely want it to get attention. Um, it's a webcomic called This Is Not Fiction, and it's by uh, artist uh, Nicole Manino. And I started reading it like more than 10 years ago. Uh, and it released, you know, page by page every week. Um, and it's been such an amazing uh, experience, like watching the the artists grow and the characters and the art style change and stuff. And uh, it's going to be hitting its uh, like final season or episode, like a uh, chapter. And I'm like, heart, my heart hurt. But like, we just got like the twist and it made it made 10 years so worth it. <laughs> like it's my heart is feeling great. And it's simply about a boy who is in love with his favorite author. And um, and so him and his best friend get help from the high school godfather, Landon, um, to essentially get to meet Sydney Morgan, the author. And um, it's it starts as just really cute, like day-to-day -day thing, but it gets heavier and heavier. My theme is I like I like cute stuff that gets really depressing. I love it. So um <laughs> So that's kind of like where that's going. But it, again, it's like really cute art style, like mature, mature storyline. Um, and so I love that misleading aspect. Um, so if you if you like Slice of Life and and LGBT themes like that, then definitely check it out. It, it is beautiful art, beautiful storytelling. And the creator, Nicole, is a beautiful person. Literally reading that comic is what inspired me to start Jamie, my webcomic. So that like kickstarted my whole career. You know what I mean? So I love it. Fantastic. Well, uh, Reed, Jeremy, this has been a fantastic time. Final Great. question as we release you back into the world. Uh, how can people follow you both online and keep up with the dog night and everything else that you respectively have going on? Uh, simply oh. just look for my name, Twitter or on Twitter, Brie Indigo underscore. And um, so my name, B-R-E, and then Indigo, the word underscore. Um, and you'll be able to find all my links there. So I don't need to say it out loud. <laughs> Uh, and I'm on Twitter at uh, jrome58, it's J-R-O-M-E-5-8. That's unfortunately where I probably still spend the most time on social media. I am back on Tumblr at, uh, you know, jeremywhitley.tumblr.com, um, where uh, I, I write much more interesting things than what I say on Twitter. Twitter is just me <laughs> screwing around and not writing. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I'm also uh, on my website at jeremywhitley.com. If you know you need to feel like you need to contact me, you want to send me an email, you want to look, see what I'm up to next. Um, hopefully that'll be the the place you can find out. Yeah. Best, best case, just Google the names, you know, yeah. like first, our stuff shows up first. You know who it is. <laughs> yeah, <I'll> cheer. <laughs> uh, right on. Well, thank you both so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Dan. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of ComicsXF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a Pete Wisdom Hot Claw sticker designed by Kevin Newburn. A $3 donation gets you access to our bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, 
a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom. A $4 donation gets you access to our son Pete and the sticker. A $25 donation lets you plug your crowdfunded or creator-owned comic in a 60-second spot. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis, Robert Secundus, Kat Purcell, Liz Large, and Will Nevin from ComicsXF, Carla Pacheco, Mike Sagawa, and Azimov Fangirl, a.k.a. The Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF, assuming Twitter still works. And until next week, remember, somewhere out there, there's a Batman comic where all the characters simply cannot stop saying the word boner. W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.